I feel impressed just to remind you before I get into this message that God loves you. If you really understood how much the God who created you loves you, it would overwhelm you. You say, but Brother Fred, sometimes I, I'm not too lovable. Hey, you know the thing about God, and don't miss this, His love is unconditional. God's love for you is not based on your performance. God's love for you is that you're created in His image. And God loves you as much as any person in the world. You say, no, come on. Yes, he does. God's no respecter of persons. And so would you just rest in the fact today, whether you've had a good week or a bad week, or good month or a bad month, or maybe you've made some wrong choices and sinned or something, just remember this. God loves you, and he's always there for you. And his mercy and grace is always reaching out to you. And you need to receive his love. You say, but I don't feel it. Just believe it by faith. Hey, emotions change. God's love does not change. It is permanent. Well, I was um, thinking about, I don't know what made that noise. I was thinking about just preaching a nice, encouraging Father's Day sermon. Do you understand? But God said, no. And he said, man, and he gave me a tough one. Oh, my goodness. This is tough. Not tough in that I'm thrilled to preach it, but it's, it's just, just, just a re what I call the, uh, well, I, I mean, what word do I want to use? I started to say the naked truth. I, that's not a good word. But I, I'm telling you, it, it's, 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 it's the truth. It's the truth. You know what the Bible tells us? It tells us as believers. Now, I'm preaching to believers today. It tells us to earnestly contend for the faith, which was once delivered in the book of Jude, chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Now, now look what it says, because it's going to be a hundred scriptures up on the screen. But look at this one. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write you concerning our common salvation. Now listen to this. I found it necessary to write you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once and for all delivered to the saints. So he tells us, listen, contend for the faith. Well, I want to say this to you. In the day of spiritual darkness in which we live, we not only need to contend for the faith of this book, but we need to know how to contend for the faith. And I am convinced that um, our approach in contending for the faith has been somewhat weakened, and, and I don't think we've had the right approach to contend for the faith. And as I've thought about it this week, I'm telling you, um, it seems like God says, no, you need to understand. The way you contend for the faith, now stay with me, is to speak the word of God in love. You're not contending for the faith if you speak out of your opinion. You're not contending for the faith if you're speaking out of reason or logic. No, no. 
well, it's just the way I feel. No, no. You have to speak the word of God into the situation where you're contending for the faith. Now, we know that Satan is the enemy, that we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. Now, we know that. But Satan operates through humans and through a human kingdom. And I'm convinced, and I've shared this uh, the last few weeks, that the major enemy, the major method, the major method that Satan is using to to lead America down the wrong path, to neutralize the church, and to uh, cause us to be ineffective in this world is humanism. Now, it's called secular humanism or religious humanism. But it, it, it's, it, it's atheism. It, it says uh, no deity will save us. We, we are self, have a self-existing universe. So they call it humanism, but it's atheism is what it is. And it's infiltrated every area of our life. Now, the major battleground in, 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 in the, that we're fighting and contending for the faith is not so much against atheism, there's always been atheists. In fact, there e- there's even a holiday for atheists. Did you know that? April the 1st. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. You said, that's not nice. I know it, but it's still true. I, I mean, I can deal with an atheist. But, you- but here you're talking about when humanist takes on the form of infiltrating the colleges and, and all of our life, where they, what they've done is they've attacked and basically destroyed the moral fiber of our nation. They say there are no moral absolutes. In other words, this book is just another book. And, of course, if you don't believe in God and you don't have to give an account to God, then you make up your own morals. You make them up yourself. And see, they say that morality uh, uh, is autonomous. Each society determines what's right. And each society determines what's wrong. There's nothing always right, nothing always wrong. It depends on what society defines as right or wrong. Well, how do we answer that? How do we, we say, well, I don't believe that. But how do we answer that? And they also go a little further and say about morality, and this is where the battle is raging, that the situation determines if it's right or wrong. In some situations, it might be right. In some situations, it might be wrong. But there are no moral absolutes. Well, let me just show you something about this. You know, uh, they're inconsistent. They're double-minded in what they say. For example, there are some moral absolutes. You, You know one of them? Thou shalt not steal. Now, Humanist call it crime. If you steal, you committed a what? Crime. And that's morally wrong. And you can go to jail. So th- that's an absolute. If you don't believe it, go steal something, and you'll find out it's an absolute. We have a prison ministry. We'd be glad to see you. Uh, the, you know, uh, they, uh, they say it's a, 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 a crime to lie. When you're doing business, it could be called fraud or deceit. 
And it's a crime to lie when, in business and be false. Well, and you can go to jail for that. So, now wait a minute. I, I thought there were no moral absolutes. I, I thought that a society determined what was right or wrong. But here we're saying that we call it crime. Hey, by the way, it's a crime to sexually abuse a child or to even produce any type of child pornography. Well, where does that come from? I mean, and, and by the way, you go to jail for a long time for that. And so the truth is, there's some things that society says they are wrong. They call it crime. And the humanists do the same thing. They say it's crime. But you know the problem? We're calling it the wrong thing. The only way to answer the decaying morality of our nation is to do this. And I want to speak to you this morning on whatever happened to sin. Now, now whatever happened to sin? I, I remember growing up in a Baptist church, and the preacher would preach against sin. And uh, there was a time I would go to conferences, and they would be preaching against sin. They would always offer hope in Christ, but they would be calling sin, sin. But today, you know what we're doing? We, we've got to say, as we confront morality and the decay of our, we've got to start calling sin, sin. And that will be the way we answer those who say there's no absolute morally right, no absolute morally wrong. And, and I'm going to show you just verse after verse that answers everything they say. But if, if you answer it any other way than this, it is a sin. No, you say, it is wrong. They say, well, why is it wrong? Because it's a sin against the holy God. And you're accountable to him. They say, well, I, I don't believe in sin. I said, that don't matter. The Bible says that it's a sin. And you'll give an account to God. And then give them a verse of scripture. See, we've been saying, well, it's wrong. Well, why is it wrong? We say, well, I don't agree with that. Well, why don't you agree with that? You say it's harmful. Well, why is it harmful? We've got to understand that over 300 times in the Bible, it mentions the word sin, S-I-N. That's just the word sin. Over 50 times, it mentions the word sinner. And then think about how many times in the Word of God it talks about iniquity or transgressions. So, what we've got to do to say to a humanistic society, knowing they don't believe in God and knowing they don't believe the Bible, that still doesn't matter. We have to speak the truth. And the truth is the reason we oppose things and say they're wrong is because they are a sin against God. And we've got to say that. I never thought, I wondered why in the world God put these verses in 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. And as the Lord was speaking to me about this, I saw these verses. Now, look up on the screen. It says, if we say that we have no sin, and that's what they're saying. There's no such thing as sin. There's no such thing as sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. 
<laughs> not God or anybody else. We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But you know, that's exactly what humanists say. There's no sin. There's no such thing as sin. Hey, there's another verse. It's verse 10, I believe. It says, if we say that we have not sinned, we make God a liar, and his word is not in us. That's where we are today. There's no sin. You deceive yourself. And when you say you haven't sinned, you're making God a liar. Well, so what we have to do is when we make a case for, for morality and for righteous living, we have to approach it from the fact of what to answer evil or wrong by calling it what the Bible calls it, sin, and then give a verse to support where the Bible calls it sin. Now, I, there are three things I want to uh, discuss in this message. I want to talk about the reality of sin, and then I want to talk about the result of sin, and then I want to talk about the remedy, the glorious remedy for sin. The reality for sin of sin. First John chapter 3, verse 4. You say, well, Brother Fred, what is sin anyway? What is it? All right. Look, look on the screen. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. So when a person commits sin, they're living a lawless life. Everybody does what's right in their own eyes. And sin is lawlessness. Then in 1 Samuel chapter 12, most of the verses I'm going to give you from the New Testament, by the way, but this is a great example. In 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 9, we see where David is confronted about his sin. And uh, basically, I hope it comes up on the screen. If not, I'll have to look it up. But you need to see it. Here it is. All right. All right. That's not it. Wait a minute. Let me show you which one it is. I'm going to look it up in my Bible. The, the, the screen's not inspired. The Bible's inspired. Because you've got to see this. This is the heart of what happened with David. He was a king. He was a man after God's own heart. And so David, uh, by the way, I was wrong there right. It's 2 Samuel 12, 9. You say, well, Brother Fred, that's not right. Well, it's not a sin. But anyway, hey, <laughs> all right, now, now listen to this. I want to show you how God, now David was a man after God's own heart. He was king. And when the kings went to war, David stayed behind at home and was up on the rooftop and saw Bathsheba bathing, make a long story short, committed adultery with her. Then he didn't want her husband to find out, got him drunk, but he still wouldn't go in and sleep with his wife. And then he sent him to the front of the battle and told the troops to fall back, and, he, and, 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 and her husband got killed. Okay, Uriah. So David's guilty of, a, of adultery and murder, all right? Well, so what does God say to him? It's been a quite a while since he committed this sin. Look in verse 9. And it shows you what sin is. 2 Samuel 12, 9. 
Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord? David, you despise God's word. You despise God's commandment. You're lawless. You're lawless. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord? To do evil in his sight. You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You've taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. He said, David, why did you despise what God told you? You, you, you were lawless. You broke his commandment. Well, look in verse 14. So David said to Nathan, are you ready? I have sinned against the Lord. So David said, hey, wait a minute. I realize now that I've been lawless. I've broken the law of God. I've transgressed God's commandment. He said, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has put away your sin and you shall not die. David repented and God forgave him. But look at verse 14. This is why it's so serious when a Christian sins and other people that have watched him know about it. Look at what it says in 14. This is a sobering verse. However, because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child who has been born of you shall die. Said so David, you know, you don't understand. The sin just not only affected you, but all the enemies of God. Said, I thought David was a man after God's own heart. But he said, you've given the enemies of God an opportunity to blaspheme. So, and, and the next thing I want you to see, I'm defining what sin is. It's lawlessness. It is uh, transgressing the law of God. And, it, and the main thing you've got to understand that why sin is so serious, listen to me, it's against God. See, come on now. We say, well, it's wrong. You're hurting a person. Maybe, but let me tell you something. Listen to me. Sin is against God, the God who created us, who has a plan for us, and who loves us, and who sent his son to redeem us. And when we break his law, when we transgress against him, it's a sin against him. And boy, David knew that. Look at Psalm 51. Here he's talking about his sin. This is his psalm of repentance. All right, look what it says. All right, um, we'll start in the first verse. To the chief physician, I'm not going to read that. Uh, all right, have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness. David's repenting for his breaking, being lawless. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to your tender mercies, here it is, blot out my transgressions. It's called sin. All right, he goes on in the next verse. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Here he calls sin iniquity. He says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Listen at this. And cleanse me from my what? Sin. He knew it was sin. But now look at the next verse. For this is it. He says, I acknowledge my transgressions. My sin is always before me. And then he goes on in the next verse and says, against you, you wonder why sin's so bad? Against you, and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. God, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. I say, wait a minute, David, you sinned against Bathsheba. Wait a minute, David, you sinned against Uriah. 
He said, oh, that's, that's not the big deal, Brother Fred. That's not the big deal. Let me tell you the big deal. I sinned against God. And so when people say, well, you're not being tolerant. You're not, you're not being kind. You're being offensive. You're hurt. No, we've got to understand that we are believers in the living God. We are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the word of God is our authority for what we believe and practice. And we do injustice to God and I think sin against God when we fail to call sin, sin, and say that it is against the holy God who loves them and who created them. The way to answer humanism is to call sin, sin, and back it up with the word of God. So what I did, I just began to think a little bit, and that's dangerous. By the way, Romans 3.20, I think we have that on the screen. It talks about what uh, it says here, Therefore by the deeds of the law no flesh shall be justified, for by the law, the moral law of God, is the way we know what sin is. So I, I just said, okay, I, I'm going to just see what the Bible says is a sin. So naturally, I couldn't go through all of it, so I've got about 150. But I mean, I couldn't go through all of it. But I'm, I'm, I'm just, all right, first of all, we, we say, well, you know what's wrong? Say stealing is wrong. It's wrong. Well, why do you say it's wrong? Because it's a sin against God. All right, look at Ephesians 4.28. That'll be on the screen. It says here, let him who stole steal no longer but rather let him labor with his hands what is good that he may have something to give who has need. Hey, the word of God says, man, you don't steal. Now I could go back to the Ten Commandments, but right there in the New Testament it says, hey, quit stealing. All right, we go on. He said, well, you know, in our society sometimes you, you need to steal because, you know, it's just a situation. Well, I'm not going there. But anyway, all right, what about lying? It's a sin. It's wrong. Uh, yeah, it's wrong. I know, but everybody, you know, tells white lies. I have never found out what a white lie was. If you find out, would you let me know? A lie is a lie, right? You're not sure. But anyway, John 8, 44. Now, you, 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 you're talking about being strong about lying? Well, you're against lying. Why? Because it's wrong. Well, no, 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 let me tell you why. It's a sin against holy God. Look at it. You are of your father, the devil. Woo. No wonder they crucified Jesus, my soul. You are of your father, the devil. This is Jesus speaking. And the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning. Boy, that's a picture of Satan. And does not stand in truth. Get this. There's no truth in him. There's no truth in the devil. He can do nothing but lie. And that's all he does. He lies to you about yourself and about God. He says there's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Well, Brother Fred, lying's no big deal. Oh, yes, it is. That's exactly who Satan is. And he's the father of every lie. You say, okay, Brother Fred, what about sexual immorality? What about a man living with a woman and not being married to her? And having sexual relations. What about two teenagers? What about anybody that commits sexual immorality? Well, you say, we say, well, you know, the humanists say 
Uh, nothing is wrong between two consenting adults. Well, that's not what the Bible says. So what are 1 Corinthians 6, 18? Listen to what it is. That word says flee. In case you don't know what it means, run, run, run. That's what it says. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. It affects you in every way. You see, they're saying, wait a minute now, y'all are just puritanical. Y'all just uh, don't understand the culture. And you're so offensive. You're against everything. No, all we're against is sin. We're against sin. We are. We make no apology. We're against sin. And the Bible says that sexual immorality is a sin, and when you commit it, you sin against your own body. All right? Then what about, what about adultery? That's when a man is unfaithful to his wife or a wife unfaithful to her husband, the marriage vow. Well, what is Hebrews 13 for? Well, you know, they say, well, you know, listen, adultery is not a sin. The marriage just didn't work, and, and you don't have to be faithful to your husband or wife, you know. Listen, it, it, it's two consenting adults. There are no moral absolutes. Society doesn't seem to frown on adultery. And, and you know how it is. Now, now, you know how I know that. And I, I'm just going to go ahead and just say it, and I'm just going to say it, and I'm going to say it. You know why I know America doesn't believe anything's wrong with adultery? I remember when one of our presidents on television said, I have not committed sexual immorality with that woman. He lied. And then they turned right around and found evidence that he had. Do you remember that? Okay, you say, well, we understand, Brother Fred. But you know what got me? Are you ready for this? The next year, he was on the front page of Time magazine along with a religious leader and was chosen by Americans as the two outstanding leaders in America. My Lord, what in the world happened to us? Oh, adultery's no big thing. Look what it says. Marriage is honorable among all. The bed is undefiled. But get this, fornicators, that's sexually immoral, and, and adulterers, God will judge. Hey, we, we, we've been being too soft on this humanistic crowd. We're just saying, well, we just, don't, we just believe it's wrong. We just believe it's wrong. And, and it, it's harmful. No, we need to say, no, you don't understand. It is wrong because it is a sin against a holy God, and you're going to be held. Well, I don't believe in God. That don't matter. He still exists. And you're going to give account to God. I don't believe that. Well, you, one day you will believe that. See, we, 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 we've got to stand on the Word of God, and we've got to quote the Word of God. We, listen, we have no argument apart from the Word of God. Their opinion is just as good as our opinion. It is not our opinion. It's what the Word of God says. Brother Fred, you keep preaching like that, nobody's going to come to church. Well, I'll come. All right, now let me ask you this. Boy, I'm really going to get in trouble with this. Well, you say, well, Brother Fred, now, what about two ladies that are in a lesbian relationship? What about two men that are in a homosexual relationship? Now, you know, uh, Jesus never did say anything about that. Yeah, he did. He talked about fornication. 
But let me just tell you what it says in Romans. Look at it right there. It basically says that a woman is going to burn in lust for a woman and a man's going to burn in lust for a man and God has given them over to vile passions. Look at what it says. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. Even the women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. It's against nature for a woman to be involved with a woman. It's against God. It's against nature. And go on, let's look at the next verse. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lusts for one another. Now, come on. Hey, they say, well, listen, why are you against lesbianism? Why are you against homosexuality? Can I tell you why? It is the sin against a holy God. That's what it is. And we don't have to apologize for that. We've been giving them the wrong answer. There's freedom between consenting adults. There is freedom, and thank God, freedom in America to do right or do wrong, freedom to obey God or freedom to sin. But, it's, but we're just saying that freedom is not in, in God's eyes because God says it is an abomination in the sight of God. Now, if we don't warn them, we'll answer to God for being a bunch of cowards. We have to say, this is why we're not against people. We love people. We want everybody to be saved. We want them to be forgiven. We don't want anybody to have the judgment of God. My Lord, what do you think we're here for? It's good news, but we've got to warn you. Listen, I'm telling you, the Bible says that when a man cohabits with a man, a woman with a woman, it is a sin against holy God and will be judged by God. I've just got a couple more. You say, well, Brother Fred, what about partying and drunkenness? Uh, Mobile's known for its partying and drunkenness, isn't it? Isn't that a shame? i tell you, first of every year we get drunk for about two months. During Mardi Gras, you know. People who are in Mardi Gras societies don't like me. And if you're involved in Mardi Gras and all that drinking and stuff, you need to get out of it. You say, it's my business. Well, it's your business, but I'm going to tell you what God says about it. Can I just do that? Romans 13, look what it says. It tells about partying and drunkenness. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Read on. Let us walk properly. Walk in a righteous way. Let us walk properly in the day. Not in partying and drunkenness. Not in lewdness and lust. Not in envy and strife. And then the next verse says, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. I'm all for a party. Don't you like to have a party? I like to have a party. Where we get together, you know, and play dominoes. I hate dominoes. Or get together and play scrap. I ain't going to. That's not the kind of party I'm talking about. Get together and watch a football game and have snacks and all that kind of stuff. Or get together and just have fellowship and laugh. Cut up. Hey, nobody has a better time with, as Christians at a party because we don't have a hangover the next day, praise God. Hey, we're not killjoys. I've never had more fun in my whole life than I've had the last 50 years. As a, as a Christian, man. I mean, I can do anything I want to do, but there's a lot of things I don't want to do. 
If you have to get drunk to have a good time, something's wrong with you. That's all I got to say. You just need to get right with God. Okay, I got a couple more. And God really showed me this. See, now we are going to be confronted and we're going to have to battle with this same-sex marriage deal. By law, they're going to say it's legal in Alabama. And it's already by law. They're doing it in the court system. But we you know this is what we got to say. Why are you against same-sex marriage? Well, I'll tell you why. Because it's wrong. And you know why it's wrong? It's a sin against holy God. All right, look at Matthew 19, 4. Jesus defined marriage. And he answered and said to them, Have you not read? He made them at the beginning. He made them male and Not him and Shem, but male and female. In the beginning, he made them male and female, okay? All right, now look at the rest of the verse. The next verse, verse 5. Well, and he goes on and says, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, and shall be joined to his wife. It says, And for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now, what part of that don't we understand? A man shall be joined to his wife. But, oh, let me give you another verse. And you need to just say this to people. We're not against them. We're not against freedom. We're, we are for God and against sin. Amen? So here it is. Over in uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 2 and 3. All right, let's look at it. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife, and let each woman have her own husband. Now, what part of that don't we understand? All right, and you go on to the next verse. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise the wife the affection due to her husband. People think, well, you're just, you're just against people. No, we're not against people. We love people. I'm going to tell you that Jesus came and died for people. My heavens. But we're against sin because that's what nailed Jesus to the cross. That's what held him there. The sins of the world were placed on the Son of God. And so it's simply that we are against what the Bible calls sin. And I've given you verses. All right. All right. There's two others. One, well, we're against cursing, profanity, and evil speaking. Well, now, Brother Fred, you can't go to a movie without them cursing. Well, don't go. You know, you go to a movie and they use, uh, I started to say, but anyway, they take God's name in vain and use all kind of words. Every other word is awful. Well, what does the Bible say about this? We look at Romans 3, 14, when it's describing sin, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Oh, I, I thought it was all right to cuss. I'm just telling what the Bible says. Mouth is full of cursing. And he's describing sin in Romans 3. It's full of cursing and bitterness. 
And you can go right on down to Ephesians 4.29, and, and here's a great verse. Look what it says. Somebody, she'll bring it up on the screen. Let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth. Woo! You know what the corrupt communication means? Let no rotten fruit come out of your mouth. That's what it is in the Greek. Let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth, but which edifies people and imparts grace to them. Hey, the sin of the tongue. Well, here's the last one. Oh, I could go on, but I just, I'm trying to make a point. Please listen to me. Do not answer the world's arguments with reason, logic, or your opinion. Answer the world's questions with the word of the living God. And what God calls sin, you call sin, and you say to them, I love you, and because I love you, I am not going to refuse to tell you that the God who loves you, you're sinning against when you commit that in your life. Then there's, um, did you know that bitterness and unforgiveness and anger are sin? Oh, yeah. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. Look at it. Bitterness. Woo. Bitter people. Let all bitterness and wrath, that's just violence. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor, loud shouting and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, with the intent to hurt. Let, let me tell you something. I, I think some of our leaders must think we're stupid. They say the reason we're having these mass murders is because people have got a gun. Well, if they keep you from having guns, the only one would have them would be a criminal. You know that, don't you? No. The reason they're mass murders is because people get bitter and angry and are full of malice and they want to hurt people. They say, well, if I'm going to hurt, I'm going to hurt them. You know why we have mass murders? Because it's sin, and they're sinners, and they need the grace and mercy of Almighty God. It's not because they had a gun. It's because of what was in their heart that caused them to do it. I guarantee you one thing. I'm just looking forward to somebody coming to me and saying, oh, boy, you just, you're just against everything. I said, no. I'm just against what God's against, and God's against sin. And so you've got an argument, you just take it up with God, and I guarantee you he'll take it up with you. Well, here we go. I'm going to finish up now. Let me talk about, that was my first point. Lord, have mercy. <laughs> this won't take long. The results of sin. Are you ready? That's, that's the reality of it, the results. The way, Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life, praise God. Look at the next verse, John 8, 21. I'm just talking to you about the result of sin. In John 8, chapter 8, verse 21, Then Jesus said unto them again, I'm going away, and you will seek me, and will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. Well, right on in 8.24, listen to what Jesus said in verse 8.24. Therefore I said to you, 
You will die in your sins if you do not believe that I am he. If you don't believe I'm the Savior, if you don't believe I'm the Messiah, if you don't believe I'm the way to be forgiven, if you don't believe my sacrifice that I'm going to offer for you on the cross, he said, if you do not, you, therefore I said to you, you will die in your sins if you do not believe that I am he. He says it again. You will die in your sin. Boy, that's a bad way to die. That's the result of sin. And look at John 8, 35. Sin enslaves. It enslaves. It gets people in, a bond, in bondage. It says, uh, a slave does not abide in his house forever, but a son abides forever. Go back to verse, um, maybe it's verse um, 34. What's verse 34? What's Oh, here it is, verse 34. Jesus answered them, Most surely I say to you, truthfully I say to you, he who commits sin is a slave of sin. Oh, I can do that anytime I want to. I can walk away from that anytime I want to. That doesn't have a grip on me. Jesus said if you commit sin, you become the slave. You become addicted. You become bound by sin. Over in Proverbs, I didn't have this on the, to give her on the screen, but it's talking about, uh, I'm just going, I got to tell you this. It's talking about sexual immorality, and you know what it says in Proverbs? I think it's chapter 5. I'll have to look it up. The wicked shall be held by the cords of his own sin. It's kind of like this person says sin doesn't bother me so they commit the sin and they wrap a cord and they commit the sin again and they wrap another cord and they commit another commit the sin again and they wrap another cord and they commit the sin again and they wrap another cord and they say you know i'm just gonna walk away from that but guess what they're bound by the cords of their own sin that's what it says you see, sin results in spiritual and, and, and eternal death. But sin results that you become a slave. You become bound by the cords of your own sin. I'm telling you. It's called addiction. You call it what you want to. But it's, it's, it's you're bound. You're bound by sin itself. How many times have I said this? And you know it's true. Sin always takes you further than you intended to go. Sin always takes you, keeps you longer than you intended to stay. And sin always costs you more than you intended to pay. He who commits sin is the slave of sin. Well, I'm going to close with the good news. But I tell you, we're going to take a stand and we're going to say it's sin. It's a sin against God, so therefore we can't approve of it and will not. And let the chips fall where they may. I don't even know what that means. I hope that ain't gambling chips. That's sawdust chips. That's what it is. Let the sawdust chips fall where they may. I want to talk about the remedy for sin. You've got to hear this, and I'll pray. I want you to listen to the heart of Jesus. I want you to listen to his heart. He said, I have come to seek and to save 
those that are lost. Here's a woman engaged in a lesbian relationship, a man engaged in a homosexual relationship, a man who's committing adultery, a man who's a teenager or somebody else is having sex outside of marriage. Jesus said, I want you to know, I came to seek you and to save you out of that sin so you could know what peace was and fulfillment was. He said, I, listen, I've come to seek and to save those who are inbound by sin. He said, that's why I came. You don't understand. I didn't come to condemn you. You were already condemned. Listen to what John 3 says. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. If you believe in him, you're not condemned. If you believe not, you're condemned already. And so you've got to understand that why Jesus came. That There's another great verse that talks about uh, Jesus said, I came to call the, I did, not, I, I did not come to call the righteous, but I came to call sinners to repentance. He said, I've come to seek and to save the lost. I've come not to call righteous, but I've come to call sinners to repentance. And um, he said, I love you so much that I'm going to will, willingly go to the cross, take all your wickedness, all your sin, all your ungodliness on myself, and I'm going to die for your sins. I'm going to die in your place. If you reject me and reject my sacrifice, there is no sacrifice, and you will die in your sin. But he said, I'm telling you, if you will not reject me and you will repent, call what God, you call sin what God calls sin. If you'll repent, turn from your sin by the power of Jesus and trust me as your Lord and Savior, I'll wash your sins away. I'll give you my righteousness and you will be able to be right with God and reconcile to God and spend eternity with him in heaven. The church of Jesus Christ does not have bad news. We have good news. And that God is willing that not one person should perish. God doesn't want one person to go to hell. God doesn't want one person to be bound and addicted by their sin. No. God is willing that none should perish, but all should come to repentance. And Jesus came and lived and died and took the wrath of God on himself so you could be forgiven, so you could be saved, so you could be delivered, so that Satan could not have his grip on you and you can know what it is to have the peace and life of Jesus Christ. Man, the gospel is good news. Let, let me just read uh, these verses and I'll, I'm going to pray. Here it is. Romans 5, 6. I'm going to say this. When we were helpless, when we still were sinners, when we were enemies of God, Jesus died for us. Look at verse 6. For when we, this is Romans 5, 6. When we were yet without strength, Christ died for the ungodly. Brother Fred, I'm so weak. I could never change. I'm bound. I could never change, Pastor. I'm so weak. Hey, listen. When you were without strength, Christ died for the ungodly. He knew you couldn't save yourself. He knew you couldn't break the cords of sin. He knew he'd have to set you free. Look at the next verse. Romans 5, 8. For scarcely for a righteous man would one die. Perhaps for a good man some would prepare, might even dare to die. But here's verse 8. Listen to what it says. But God demonstrates his love toward you 
And while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. Jesus did not see you at your best and go to the cross and die for you. Jesus saw you at your worst and went to the cross and died in your place. Look at the next verse. Verse um, 9. Much more than having been justified by his blood. Let me tell you what. We're saved from wrath through him. Jesus saves us from the wrath of God that would be poured out on our sin. Having been justified by his blood, we will be saved from wrath through him. And here's the other one. If when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. I was an enemy of God. But God in his mercy and grace reconciled me through the death of his son. Jesus took the, my wrath on that cross. Now, you're going to be faced in the days to come. How will you answer the humanists who start, try to push things down our throat? How are we going, we're going to say, well, I love you, but I want you to know that's wrong. In fact, it is a sin against the holy God who has created you. And then you give them of that verse of Scripture and say, let me tell you what the Bible says. Well, I don't believe the Bible. You said, I'm, oh, it's okay. I don't have anything else to say. There's nothing else I can say to you. I've told you that I love you, and Jesus does. But I'm going to tell you, I cannot compromise. I cannot. This is what God says, and God says it's a sin. So you deal with God about it. Because you'll either deal with him now or you'll deal with him later. Let's don't cow down. Let's stand. Boldly but in love. Listen, we don't hate, we don't hate people. We don't hate sinners. We hate sin. We love people. Don't let them put that on us. Don't you tell me that, that, that you don't love. No, no, don't put that off. No, that's a lie. Nobody loves people like Christians love people if they're Christians. Now, there may be some hate mongers out there, but if you're a child of God, you love God, and you love the same people God loves, and God loves sinners. And so we give them good news in Jesus' name.